the sports complex of the horn. Welcome back to the Sports Complex on a Wednesday afternoon. I know what day of the week it is on a Wednesday afternoon. On the show today, we'll get into some Big 12 basketball. Texas takes on UCF tonight here at home. So we will get into some of that. We'll talk some NBA. There was a big trade. Not a lot of big teams in it, but big trade happening today in the NBA. So we'll get into that as well. Get into some more NFL playoff talk. The coaching carousel in full effect. And also talking, of course, some Texas Longhorn football that'll be coming up on the show today and much much more including your text messages 512-447-3776 512-447-3776 is the text line number you guys drive the show we just try to keep it on the rails what that means is whatever you guys want to talk about we will talk about on the show is within reason within reason and uh we will get to it. We try to get to everybody's text during the show. Sometimes we run out of time, but we normally get to everybody's text uh, on the show. So we'll keep trying to keep that going again today here on the Sports Complex. Uh, it is uh, finally warming up a little bit, so I hope everybody made it through. It seems like uh, we we made it through this patch pretty well. Didn't seem like there was a lot of problems in the city, which is nice. It worries me that there's another thing coming because it seems like every year I was talking to <laughs> I was talking to someone at a club. Uh, and this is a while ago now, but this was uh, earlier this year, I think. And uh, she was asking me, she was like, well, you know, the weather's coming to get bad. And then uh, she's like, is it, is it always like that in Austin? Is it always like, is there always just it just the city shuts down with something? I was like, no. I mean, it's been the last couple of years, but no, before that, it was not like that. And she had apparently moved to town right before uh, the first, the snowpocalypse. So she had moved. From uh from up north, so she was like, I don't get why the entire city shut down, and then there was the the arbor getting and then with the trees and, but yeah, she basically couldn't. She was like, Is this going to be all the time? Because I just moved here and uh, it seems terrible. And I was like, It is, it is right now, but things will get better. I promise. It won't always be like this. At least we hope it will not always be like this. Uh, let's get into some talk. Uh, if we do want to bring you up on a little Texas football news. We'll cover it more in the 5 o'clock hour, but if you have not seen the news, uh, we got the news late in the show yesterday that uh, Texas got a recruitment from or a commitment from Silas ba- uh, Bolden, the wide receiver out of Oregon State. He has decided to come to Texas, a real big speedster, who will be sure to be used in some you know, some fly routes and some different opportunities 
uh, in the offense, but especially on special teams. His speed on special teams could be really uh, special for Texas. Uh, also, Kendrick Blackshire, the linebacker, has committed to Texas out of Alabama. Uh, still looking at those Alabama players entering the portal. Uh, we will get more if we see more of those go in, including uh, the safety Caleb Downs, which apparently he's looking at Ohio State. He's going to talk to Texas. He's going to talk to Georgia. Uh, we don't know how serious he is about Texas, uh, but that is one of the teams mentioned, at least, uh, for safety Caleb Downs, who had a great season last year uh, for the Crimson Tide. would be a big get uh, for whoever gets his services uh, coming up. And uh, just another quick note that the Ohio State Buckeyes have hired Ross Bjork, the AD out of a It's a good way to, you know, hire a coach who doesn't work out and then have to pay him a massive buyout that you put in the contract for God knows what reason. And then you move up. You go to a bigger school, which I know some people say that's not a big, but he chose to go, so I guess he thinks it's a better job. But we'll see. But that's... uh, just another Aggie failing up. They'll put that one in there, see if we get anybody on the text line mad about that. But I don't think we will. I think you guys are with me on that one. Uh, let's talk some Texas basketball and some Big 12 basketball. Last night we saw TCU uh, lose to Cincinnati. This Big 12 is eating itself already. John Newman went for 20-7. and Day-Day Thomas, 21-6 and assist in that game. And uh, really did kind of the opposite of what they did to Texas. For Texas, they used those bigs and were able to get down inside against Texas, get Texas into foul trouble. TCU, they just played good defense against them, and the guards put up big numbers against TCU. But that's number 19 TCU dropping one uh, at Cincinnati. Also, number 9 Baylor, who was one of the remaining undefeated teams in the Big 12, drops a game to K-State, 68-64 in overtime. K-State's defense suffocated Baylor uh, Baylor shot just 33% from the field in the game, 18% uh, from three-point range. Baylor is finding trouble this season as much as they're very highly ranked and ranked higher than Texas was and everybody's worried about Texas and their offensive struggles. Baylor's playing pretty well, but when they play against some of these good defensive teams, those shooting numbers start to dip. It's like Houston, too. If those three-pointers don't start to fall, it really boggles these teams and the defensive teams start to back off of you as three-point shooters. And it is creating problems for a lot of these guys, the good defense in the Big 12 right now. Uh, it's created problems for Houston. Houston playing Texas Tech tonight will be a really good game. We'll talk about that in a second. Uh, but Baylor getting, losing to Kansas State means that your only remaining undefeated team in the Big 12 right now is Texas Tech. And that is three, that's four games in to uh, a Big 12 schedule. There's one remaining uh, undefeated team, which is pretty crazy to see. Uh, we also see that tonight... UCF, the new one of the new teams to the Big 12, will be coming into the Moody Center at Texas. Uh, this is a game Texas needs to win. They need to win handily. They're eight-and-a-half-point favorites on the game, but Texas is going to need to uh, play just a better game of basketball. They're going to need to shoot better offensively, get some more plays in there. We've talked. Rodney Terry hasn't said what he's going to put his starting lineup out yet, or at least I haven't seen it yet. If you have on the text line, send that in. Uh, but he has talked about maybe – Changing it up. We don't know if Caden Shedrick is going to be healthy. He only played three and a half minutes in the last game, uh, but maybe he could slide into that starting lineup if they put uh, if they put Kendall Weaver in that starting lineup to get the defense a little bit more secured on the on the back end and go a little bit smaller, but more defense. Does Zeriko Yinma get into that starting lineup? We figure Brock Cunningham is going to be the guy to come out uh, just because he's not really been able to produce anything offensively the last few weeks. He's still a big piece of that defensive puzzle, and so you've got to be able to figure out kind of the difference in between the two, but they need to be able to stretch the court right now. That's one of the problems Texas is having is 
with Brock Cunningham hasn't hit a three in Big 12 play. Dylan Mitchell hasn't hit a three this season. That's two guys that are not getting respect on the three-point line. That everyone's crashing down. People are much easier to double off of them and get down on Dylan DeSue. And so Dylan DeSue has to step out and shoot threes, which he can hit. He's hitting them at a higher percentage than either, either of the other guys. However, that is creating on them a bigger opportunity for them to get him away from where he is a 50-60% shooter and really good shots underneath where he can get down and and get in the post and get in foul trouble and get other guys in foul trouble. Those types of plays you'd like to see Dylan Nassou be able to do more. Uh, He hasn't been able to get those going yet. Uh, So we'll see if they'll be able to change up and get some more shooting out there. It also means that guys like Max Asmus and Tyrese Hunter are stuck where they're getting guarded really strong in the three-point line, meaning Max Asmus is coming off of screens and taking shots five, six, seven feet behind the three-point line because that's where he's getting open at. But And I get he can hit those, but he's, what, hitting those at 20%? He's a good three-point shooter. We know what he can do. But you need to be able to get him shots that are a little bit better than that. And the more that you create the ability that he can drive by stretching, the, by pulling out all your bigs, and uh, making it so at least all he has to do is at least beat one guy and then go up against a big, and he's good at using his body to create distance and taking shots like that and hitting layups like that. Well, if we know he can do that, then you need to be able to space the floor a little bit better. They haven't been able to do that. And then on the defensive end, you need to see the intensity pick up. Instead of fouls, getting guys in front of you, uh, too many times guys are getting too close into the paint, and when they go up, Texas players are just getting called for those fouls. Whether they were fouls every time or not is you know, debatable on some of these, but they are getting guys too close to the basket where either Texas doesn't have the size inside of strength of having the big seven-footers in there that can bump around. I think Shedrick's one of those guys more, but he has not been healthy, so it's been harder for him to be able to get inside and play that type of defense and get his arms up with the shoulder injury. Uh so Texas is going to have to figure out those kind of issues coming up. I don't think the perimeter defense has been necessarily as bad, but when you don't have that rim protector and the guys underneath supporting you, you step back a little bit more on the three-point line. So all those things need to get going uh, against this UCF team. UCF is not a great shooting team. They're not. A, they're a pretty good rebounding team. Uh, as a team, they rebound pretty well, so everybody needs to be on assignments and block out or else you will get those second-chance opportunities and you'll lose your second-chance opportunities. Uh, some guys you need to watch out for. Ibrahim uh, Diallo is a seven-foot center. Uh, he's got averaging two blocks a game, doing pretty well there. Uh, Jalen Sellers, 17 game, points a game. Darius Johnson, 14 points a game. But unlike a lot of these other Big 12 guy, teams, these are a little bit smaller of a team of guards that are going to be going up against, which is a good thing for Texas with an undersized Max Aismas and an undersized Tyrese Hunter. Uh, that those guards should be able to play a little bit better defense uh, height-wise and not get beat around so much more by some of the guards where we've seen guard play where Texas is just getting themselves in trouble and not being able to get out of it because the size is too much for them, uh, which will continue to be an issue all year. Size is going to be an issue for Texas all year. But really, in reality, you'd like to be able to see Texas on their home court try and get that shot going a little bit better, trying to get an offensive flow and momentum, moving without the basketball better, all of those things you'd like to see. But most of all, you need to see spacing. You need to see some threes go down. Because if you can hit threes in the Big 12, it's much harder to play defense against those teams. We've seen it. uh, We saw it against uh, Baylor the other night. If you can't hit threes, it's just really hard to score against how good these teams are defensively. And the further you get in the paint, it becomes harder and harder to do. 
Uh, also playing tonight, we'll see West Virginia at Oklahoma. Uh, you know what? As much as we really want to uh, to see West Virginia get a win here to make Texas loss look not as bad, I don't think it's going to happen. Oklahoma's a 12.5-point favorite, and I take those points right now. I think Oklahoma's going to handle them after two straight losses. Uh, they can go in there and handle it. Uh, the the guy, Swinnick, uh, uh, the guy who came against Texas and filled in and, and played really well against Texas, he's questionable for the game tonight. So I don't know if West Virginia is going to have the weapons to on the road be able to beat a, a pretty good Oklahoma team. Uh, and then Texas Tech is taking on Houston. This is a big game, two top 25 teams. Texas Tech, the only team without a loss so far in Big 12 play. Uh, Houston is a 12.5-point favorite, which seems crazy to get that big of a line after how Houston's been playing. Texas Tech's defense has been really electric. Uh, both teams like to slow the ball down, so it doesn't feel like it's that much of a mismatch for Texas, for Texas Tech. They were down most of the game for TCU the other day before they came back and won. Uh, so we'll see if Texas Tech can hold on. I would say they cover the number on this one, but I don't know if Texas Tech's going to be able to beat Houston in this game. It feels like you could see uh, no undefeated teams in the Big 12 four games in, which would, would be a big uh, break for Texas to kind of let them avenge some of those early losses that maybe they shouldn't have had against a Texas Tech team who's playing really well and a West Virginia team that you just could not lose to. Uh, so those two losses are looming, especially that West Virginia one. You get a, need a rebound and get a big win tonight against UCF by, well, rebounding. Uh, also, we can note uh, Texas, number 11 Texas women's team, did handle their business against Kansas last night, 91-56. to 56. Texas is going to be playing well in this Big 12 schedule, trying to go and handle their business. Now that Baylor is not Baylor without Kim Mulkey, this Texas women's team has a path to a Big 12 title. Uh, Madison Booker playing really well. Of course, you know Rory Harmon's out for the year, but Madison Booker stepping up. Uh, Taylor is stepping up. There's some good players on this team uh, that are stepping up and playing big minutes for Vic Schaefer in this women's team. Moving over to some NBA talk. Of course, the big news uh, that came down a few hours ago. The Pacers have made a trade for Pascal Siakam. He is now officially off the market, one of the most sought-after trade items because everybody knew he was on the market, because everybody knew that the Raptors were rebuilding, so you didn't necessarily have to give up as much as you thought you may have to or as much as you know some of these other big trades where you have to give up really you know key parts of your organization and make a, a hard decision. And it may be one of the reasons why he didn't get picked on other teams is other teams didn't want to leverage their future quite as much as the Pacers did, who had some picks as well. Uh, the Pacers end up sending uh, Bruce, ba- uh, Bruce Brown, Jordan Neuauer, and uh, three first-round picks. Two first-round picks uh, in 2024 and one in 2026. So it's not a far reach into the future for Indiana. Pretty good deal for them to not have to give up any real down-the-road picks. You get to pair him with Tyrese Halliburton, trying to make two guys now uh, re-sign Siakam and make Tyrese Halliburton a little bit happier there uh, that you're trying to bring him in some guys. I know the big signing of Bruce Brown was going to be a big deal for them, uh, and they've already moved him off, uh, which I'm sure if Bruce Brown knew that he was going to be end up in Toronto, then he would have been he would have thought again about re-signing with the champs. But it ends up the Pacers get Pascal Siakam, which is not necessarily the biggest news for many people. This Indiana Pacers team is going to be good. I don't know if they're good enough yet to compete across, you know, the East and, and compete with the, the Celtics and the 76ers and those teams. I don't know if they're there yet. It feels like they're right in that next tier, though. And depending on who develops in you know, in Indianapolis, and you've got a guy like Tyrese Halburn, who we know can shoot at a really high level, 
that this is a team that could make some waves in the playoffs, but I don't know if they're quite uh, finals material yet in the Pacers. But it is big news for Lakers fans and Mavs fans and teams like that that were kind of hoping that a Siakam may be available for them in the trade market. He is now off, and you have to reset your uh, your radar and who you're trying to look for now in trades, and you're trying to find what other teams may have some uh, some players available. Uh, we know the Spurs have some guys available, but they're not star players by any stretch. You get a Devontae Graham or a, a Doug McDermott uh, are available. Uh, I think Jetty Osman is also available from the Spurs from from reports. So you'll see a lot of guys like that, that are guys that are kind of on that in an eight-man rotation. They're number nine or guys that could be in an eight-man rotation, but their contract's expiring, so teams are willing to give them up to get some value back for them. You'll see those, but who knows how much that will help a team uh, that is trying to get a big win. And when we look at the Western Conference right now for the Mavs, they're at number five. They're not that far out of it, uh, of a top-four seed and getting home court advantage in that first round uh, of the playoffs. But those are there are some good teams ahead of them. And knowing that Luka Doncic is dealing with injuries already, what they're going to have to do to get into that space, I feel they have to make a move at some point. And you, Pascal Siakam was somebody that you felt could have taken them to a higher level depending on what they had to give up. And it was just picks. If it was just picks and like that and Josh Green or something like that, then man, you feel you really wish you could have given up some picks and gotten him. I know it would be it's different for Dallas because they don't have a bunch of other people's picks where uh, the Pacers had another pick this year, so they could give up two for next season. Uh, but you wish you could have been in in that conversation uh, to get him to come down to uh, to Dallas and play some minutes down there with with Kyrie and Luca and and maybe help out that team a little bit. I think they still need a little bit more help. Uh, Paul George. Uh, is showing with the Clippers right now. That Clippers team is playing really well. They're the better team in L.A., which hasn't been said a lot. Uh, they get a, a win with uh, Paul George has 38 points and a win over the Thunder, 128 to 117. Right now, the Clippers are behind the, the Thunder. Minnesota's one in the West. OKC is two. Uh, we get Denver at three. You're defending that. You're defending NBA champions, and the Clippers are at four. They're kind of those are really your top four teams. The Mavs right behind them at five. But the Clippers look like they're moving up. They're starting to feel it. They had some struggles early in the year. They had some struggles right when they got James Harden. But that now seems to be working out. Uh, Russell Westbrook coming off the bench seems to be working out. There seems to be happiness. Uh, Kawhi Leonard signs a contract extension. Ty Lue's got everybody. And I don't know if they've just quelled and, and made it to where we handle problems in-house or whatever they're doing or Steve Ballmer has gotten them where he's happy and He's been able to spend some money on things to you know make everybody happier in L.A., but this is a Clippers team that is playing really, really well right now. Uh, and if they do not have injuries, which they've had a lot of in the past, they're going to be a dangerous team. I don't know who's beating them seven games in a row with that amount of talent, with Paul George, Kawhi Leonard, James Harden, Russell Westbrook. I mean, that is just a really good lineup of players on that team right now uh, that can all play well at moments. Uh, Russell Westbrook, we know, isn't the player he used to be, but still can play well in moments. And coming off the bench, uh, second unit with a guy who can really keep that energy up, does a really good job with that. Uh, we can also throw in uh, Embiid, puts up 41 points, 10 rebounds, and a 126-121 win, win over the Nuggets and Jokic, who puts up 25-19. and 19. Uh, Embiid right now in the conversation for MVP, but has to worry about a little bit that there's a new rule in the new CBA 
that if you miss more than if you don't play in 65 games, you have to play in 65 games, so you can't miss more than 17 games in an NBA season to be qualified for defensive player of the year, MVP, uh, all pro teams. You have to play 65 games in a year. And that's where contract money comes in. Right now, Embiid has missed 10 games already with an ankle injury and a knee injury. Uh, so he has already missed 10 games. He can miss seven more. And there's definitely some of these games where he would be sitting uh, in the old NBA because, you know, give him a little bit more rest. If you're playing back-to-backs, you may rest him there. But they are uh, right now having to play him at a high – play him game after game after game because they're trying to keep him in that MVP race because not only is it winning the MVP and he'll say health is more important than the MVP, but the money's more important than anything – and the money is where he can't sign the Supermax deal if he doesn't get those all-pro teams. And that's where that 65 points, uh, 65 games is going to be big. Uh, one other note from last night's games, the Suns came back from down 22 in the fourth quarter to beat the Kings 119-117. Kevin Durant, a big part of that comeback for the Suns. Games tonight, Spurs are playing the Celtics. It is not probably going to be pretty. Celtics 15.5-point favorites. Uh, Celtics are 19-0 at home right now. They're dominating at home. Just every game, they seem to be blowing it out. Uh, we'll see if the Spurs are going to be able to uh, stay in the game, I think is what you're hoping for if you're a Spurs fan tonight against the Celtics. Zach Collins is still out, which is kind of helping. It's letting Wimby play the five more, and Wimby is excelling at the five. Uh, you know, you don't think it would work out. You know, you are still going to play some teams that have big men underneath that you have to worry about, but that's what Jeremy Sohan is for at the four. You want him to get in there and get physical. And if he can't do it, Keldon will come in and bump, and he's shorter. But, you know, if you see a trade for the Spurs, it may not be for another five now. They may be looking for another uh, bulky four who can come in and, you know, six eight six nine, but can bump bodies with a guy like if you're playing the, the Rockets, Alperin Shingoon, and bump and keep him out of the space because Zach Collins isn't really doing that much either. Uh, he's getting bullied around too, some on that defensive end. So we'll see more at Wimby at the five. Uh, the Rockets are taking on the Knicks. The Rockets have lost four out of their last five. Their offense is struggling right now. Shingun is the guy who's trying to take over. However, again, in today's game, you have to be able to shoot threes, and they just haven't been able to get the open shots as much on that inside-out play that they've been trying to do. Uh, so the Knicks are six-and-a-half-point favorites, but a game-time decision for Jalen Brunson. And the Mavericks in a big game tonight on ABC against the Lakers. Lakers favorite in this game. Luka is a game-time decision uh, I don't know why the Lakers are favored in this game personally. I get it's a home game. I get it's on ABC. We know LeBron and AD tend to show up for these big games. Uh, but if, if Luka plays especially, I don't see any way. I mean, I do see a way. I don't see how the Lakers are going to slow down the defense. They've been playing with their ones in. They're, they're starting, not their ones. The starting line they started with in day one. Uh, they've been playing with them a little bit more. And that's the new starting lineup. They tried to shift it to put Austin Reeves on the bench to get more production out of him. Uh, LeBron didn't like that. LeBron wants to play with Austin Reeves. He wants to play with the best guys on the court uh, to try and have the best chance to win and get a lead early and not have guys underperforming in the starting lineup. That is what they're going with now. Torian Prince, uh, LeBron, AD, D'Angelo Russell, and Austin Reeves in that starting lineup for the Lakers. So we will see. And if, if Luka plays, it'll be interesting. But we also get to see. Anytime you get Kyrie versus LeBron, it's, there's always fireworks, at least in the broadcast, so we'll get to all that. All right, let's get to Patrick's Big Fat, pit, uh, big fat Poll of the Day, and then uh, we'll uh, take a quick break. Big Fat Poll of the Day on the Horn. 
Big Fat Poll today. Today, text lines open, 512-447-3776, 512-447-3776. We talked about some trades earlier. The trade deadline is looming, and we asked you before what your least favorite trade was in, the, in, in sports. We asked you your least favorite. Now, what's your favorite? What is a trade that you absolutely loved in sports? What made trade make you happy? Trade made you happy, or when you look back on it, makes you really happy still? Let us know on the text line, 512-447-3776. What's your favorite trade in sports? And anything else you want to talk about, we'll get into some NFL talk. If you have any questions or comments or are you hot takes on the NFL, the NBA, college basketball, send that stuff in. Uh, we'll come back and get into more here on the Sports Complex and the Horn 1019 and 1260, the Horn app and hornfm.com. Patrick Davis and the Sports Complex, weekday afternoons on the Horn. Freeze frame! Back in the sports complex here on the horn. Uh, Keep the text line open. 512-447-3776 is the text line number asking what's your favorite trade of all time. Any other hot takes you got for us on uh, college basketball, NBA. We'll be talking some NFL coming up. Of course, Longhorn football and college football, all of that. See, you know, Aggie fans, or not Aggie fans, Alabama fans not having a great week so far. Any topics, topics, topics about that? Anything you want to talk about? Send that in. 512-447-3776. I want to play a little replay from Hook Em Up with Ian Robbie this morning. Uh, talking some uh, about PFF and the grades. And I saw that the, the C.J. Stroud grade this morning, and it seems a little off. J.J. Watt had something to say about that, too. And a little bit about that Texans matchup this weekend against the Ravens. It's a little Hook Em Up replay right here on the Sports Complex. All right, my first uh, rant is actually about Pro Football Focus, and I like Pro Football Focus. They're great. Um, they, they do get themselves in trouble with their algorithms that are rating players. Um, I like their stats because they have advanced stats, analytical stats, but their overall grades when they grade players gets them in trouble. So we all know that C.J. Stroud and Jordan Love had basically the same stat line. Um, it was damn near identical. Uh, 16 to 21, both were 16 to 21 in their playoff wins this past weekend in the wild card round. Uh, 274 yards passing for C.J. Stroud, 272 passing yards for Jordan Love. Three touchdowns, zero interceptions for both those guys. 157.2 uh, passer rating, um, identical. All right, passer ratings for both Jordan Love. So stat line looks really, really similar. Um, Jordan Love's uh, pro football focus grade was a 92.5, which is really high. Um, higher than Josh Allen's 88. Patrick Holmes also at 88. Um, Matthew Stafford was at 88.5. Uh, man, CJ Stroud was at 77.8. Not terrible, but 
it's I mean it it'll be hard to explain that considering they both had damn near the same identical stat lines in the game. How do you explain such a drastic difference in the pro football focus grade? Just devil's advocate, I have had this discussion before. There are some players they just uh defy the pro football focus algorithm. They do. They de- they defy it, and they are the outliers a lot of the times when the grades don't line up with the all-pro selections or the grades don't line up with all the uh, the accolades, the Pro Bowls, and um, the uh, the top players at their position in the NFL. Trayvon Diggs actually was like this. Trevon Diggs had a very low pro football focus score. I remember it because I remember having this very conversation with Cowboys fans because Cowboys fans were upset and they thought pro football focus was a sham as a result of it. He had a 67. That year he had 11 interceptions. was an all-pro, his best season ever, his breakout year. He had a 67 pro football focus grade for most of the year. Uh, he was ranked like 45th or 50th or something like that out of the the cornerbacks, and Cowboys fans thought, man, that's ridiculous. And pro, pro football focus lost all legitimacy. And it's still, I'm, I'm not taking up for them. You can still discredit them if you want to. Like I said, I like them for the stats. But what I, what I will say is, uh, oftentimes with Trevor Diggs, the algorithm was based on the responsibility of the player in that specific play, based on the coverage. And if they actually, you know, uh, took care of their responsibility, if they actually were assignment sound, executed their responsibility in the coverage, that's how they grade them on every play. And Trevon Diggs, oftentimes, very instinctive, instinctual player, there are times when he would make plays, make interceptions, make plays on the football where he violated the coverage to do so. That he was supposed to be in a deep third inside, and I'm jumping this six route. <laughs> I'm doing it because I see it. I'm a ball hawk. All right, I'm jumping this route. And at times they got him in trouble, as Cowboys fans know. There'd be a double move here, out and up here, and then boom, eyes in the wrong place. But also every now and then he would come off of, um, you know, his nine route to come jump the the out cut or jump a curl route on the number two receiver and end up making a great play and an interception or play on the ball. And you almost had to live with the plays you would give up because he would make so many of those plays. But Pro Football Focus is grading you on being assignment sound on plays, um, on plays and you don't get um, enough bonus points for, make, for making splash plays like Trevon Dix is making. I think you should get more bonus points for making splash plays because, as I, I always say, every cornerback's going to get beat. They all get beat, every last one, even the great ones. They get beat. You watch them. They can beat all the time. Hell, Alabama's going to have first-round corners, Kool-Aid McKinstry and with Terry and Arnold. Those guys got beat by Texas. Got, they, Texas just Texas lit them dudes up <laughs> in the passing game. They still don't get drafted really high because you got them. You got to, you know, it's a, once you look at the body of work and the sample size, you'll see that those guys make more plays than they give up. And that's ultimately what the only thing you can ask in this modern day and age from your corners. I need you to make more plays than you give up because you're going to give up some. And try to be as assignment sound as you can. Thing with Trevon Dix is he wasn't assignment sound, but he was a playmaker. And Pro Football Focus is grading you, giving you higher grades, I guess, than they probably should for being assignment sound rather than being a playmaker and making plays. And the truth is, football is about getting your hands on the football. <laughs> football is about the football. Those guys should get extra points. They should get bonus points because they're football-oriented guys. They're havoc players, splash players, guys who make those big plays, and that's what Trevor Dix was. So that doesn't add up. And I think C.J. Stroud, ultimately, and that, that, I, it's a great clip I want to play of a player's um, 
there was a uh, player's podcast. We were talking about C.J. Stroud. They dropped too many bombs, too many F-bombs, N-bombs, S-bombs. We can't play it. <laughs> and I'll send it to E and, and send it to Ty just so they can hear it. But these guys are talking about how rare it is and how humiliating it is for a quarterback to get to the third read and able to make an accurate throw in third and fourth read. Remember I talked about that's what the NFL wants to see from Quinn Ewers. Get to your second, get to your third read, and still be accurate and still be, um, you know, uh, a sound with your mechanics, your footwork, and all that kind of stuff. But they were talking about him getting to his third read and him looking off defenders. And one linebacker describes he thought he had C.J. because C.J. was getting to his second read, which was him, which was he was the nearest defender, and he took it away immediately. And C.J. was staring right at his guy, and he thought, okay, C.J. staring right at my guy. He's definitely going to panic. There's, you know, we're about to get the pass rush is going to get there, all right, because he said he jumped the route. And he said C.J. actually was just looking off the safety because he looked at him for about a half a second and then threw it to the third read. And he talks about how humiliating and how rare that is. And it is for a rookie quarterback to be able to do that. And I think for pro football focus, honestly, for the C.J. Stroud, the only way I can explain it is that C.J. Stroud often, because he is so sound, either their, their grades don't account for um, his maturity as a quarterback or he is you know, next level getting so deep into the, the progressions and maybe the pro football focus algorithm cannot really track what his progressions are because it is rare that a rookie is that mature in their progressions. It, it, uh, we haven't seen it. It's the greatest rookie season for a quarterback ever. I, so I, I really can't explain the, uh, the, the disparity in the scores between Jordan Love, his 90-something pro football focus grade uh, in that game, and Jordan uh, and, you know, C.J. Stroud's. Uh, but I can tell you, there have been other discrepancies by pro football focus. He's not the only one. So don't let it, you know, I think get to you. There are reasons for the, him being an outlier. I don't know who they are just yet because it's just kind of just started. But I guarantee you we'll find out what the reasons are. At least I'll have a, a theory about it coming up a little bit later on. All right, let's talk about the, uh, the Texans and how they're going to defend Lamar Jackson. Matter of fact, let's talk about the Texans in their last game versus the, uh, the you know, which was great, by the way, versus the Browns. And I found a little nugget about the, the strategy and the game plan that I thought was pretty cool. So we talk about breaking tendency. And obviously, you've got to break tendency in big games, right? That's the only way you're going to win a big game because there's so much prep done. They know your trends. They know your tendencies. They know your habits as a team. And they're going to dial in on those. they got a game plan built around those. So you've got to break tendency at the right time. Do something out outside of uh, your comfort zone. The, the way they broke Tennessee defensively that, I, that we brought up earlier this week was they shadowed Amari Cooper with Derek Stingley more than they shadowed him all season long. Usually he doesn't shadow. His shadow rate's pretty low. Shadows when you follow a receiver around. He shadowed. It was the highest shadow rate for Derek Stingley all season long, and it was on Amari Cooper. And Amari Cooper drastically um, uh, kind of a drastic drop in production from the last time he played the Texans, which was, I think, a 276-yard day for him. But Houston, that was the only way they broke tendency. And I, I found this too. Houston disguised their coverage a ton in that game. And Houston is not a coverage disguised team. As a matter of fact, I've complained about Houston not disguising their coverages enough because they don't really disguise their coverage. If you go look at the disguise rate, uh, how often teams rotated their coverage looks from a single high, which is one deep safety, to two high, or from two high safeties um, to a single high safety, the Texans are second to last. 
And if you go look at the overall disguise rate on defense, the Texans in their backs in terms of the back seven are last in disguised looks. Um, but in the playoff win over Cleveland, 46% of their snaps, they had disguised coverages. So damn near half of their looks were disguised coverages. That is that is a really high number for, for the Texans. Like I said, they're usually second to last in the amount of disguise they throw at opposing teams. And that's because Joe Flacco, he has struggled versus trying to process different looks pre-snap and post-snap. So that is another way that D'Amico Ryan's broke tendency that we didn't talk about enough. Uh, not only do you have the Derek Steenley uh, shadow rate, which was the highest rate that he has shadowed a receiver all season long, um, but you had the disguise rate, which was the highest rate that Texas, the Texans had all, had all season long. They were under, they were hovering right around 20%, or maybe a little over 20% disguise rate during the season, and he decided to uh, up that uh, p- percentage in the playoffs and up that rate in the playoffs. So th- there's two ways he did it, and I thought those were brilliant strategies, and it worked. Um, not only did you get the, the, the interceptions and the turnovers, you got the pick six, and uh, they looked like you know Joe Flacco was confused and discombobulated. That's probably why, because he saw totally different looks from the last time he had played the Texans in week 16 until that uh, the wild card matchup. Give D'Amico some credit. Yeah, and we will see. Obviously, these uh, Ravens and Texans play, but it was all the way back week one, uh, first game of the season uh, with the new coach. And obviously, Baltimore was breaking in a new offense in that game with uh, Todd Monken as the offensive coordinator. So, much different teams now. Yep. Uh, but they'll square off on Saturday. First game of divisional playoff weekend, about 3.15, 3.30 on Saturday afternoon to launch the weekend. Uh, Texans with a full week's rest. The Ravens coming off two weeks rest. And, and a lot of talent in, uh, in Baltimore. We'll talk a lot about Lamar Jackson and how you deal with him, but, you know, the youngster Zay Flowers has really come on as a wide receiver for he's them. He's healthy now, too. He's healthy. Um, you know, they're, they're, they're relatively healthy uh, coming off two weeks off, essentially. Remember, they didn't play their starters against Cleveland in Week 17, took the week off last week. I mean, they're, that's where the Russ versus rest conversation will come in. Can the Texans jump on them because uh, maybe they're playing at a playoff intensity level and the Ravens have to reach that? Uh, but we'll see. They'll be playing at home, so they'll have that home crowd intensity uh, pushing them in Baltimore. Very tough place to play, uh, so we'll see. Also, yeah. the guy that really worries me, you know, C.J. Stroud's only thrown five interceptions this whole year in 13 games. He hasn't thrown one. But their free safety, Kyle Hamilton, has really emerged one of the best defensive backs in the country in the uh, in the game, Rod. Out of Notre Dame, we saw him at Notre Dame where he was just kind of an everywhere kind of player. Mm-hmm. They took him in the first round, and this guy's really turned in to one of the best players on their defensive side of the ball. Um, you know, they also traded for Ro- Roquan Smith from the Bears, and he's come and, and really solidified their run defense. I mean, this is this is a really good Ravens team. We know that, right? And against the best competition this year, they've they've beaten the daylights out of the best competition yeah. in football this year. So big challenge for the for the uh, Texans. That's why they're a nine nine and a half point underdog in this game. We'll talk about it all the way. We'll hear from C.J. Stroud coming up talking about this matchup and uh, fun to have a Texas team still playing in these playoffs with the Cowboys' disappointing end of their season. We're talking about that as well, Rod. Uh, what are they going to do? The reports that uh, Jerry Jones won't meet with Mike McCarthy till later this week to uh, to have a conversation. And according to Sports Illustrated, it's almost a job interview for Mike mm-hmm. McCarthy because if you're Jerry Jones, you want your head coach to paint the paint the uh, the direction. Well, what happened and where are we going? Right. I mean. Uh, we know where we've been. How do we get to the next level? What's the uh, next conversation for them? Uh, looking forward to that. And uh, are we still believing Jim Harbaugh is going to the NFL? I mean, he's yeah. now interviewed with the Chargers and yeah, the Falcons. Yeah, he's going. Think it's, he's going? Yeah, this is all theater. Well, to that in mind, Rod, I don't know if you saw this this morning, but I, our, our friend Blake Monroe over at On Texas Football, 
he, he discovered this, that the, uh, the early line is out, and Texas is a one-and-a-half-point favorite at Michigan September the 7th. <laughs> one-and-a-half-point favorite yeah. at Michigan. And that would include the, with Jim Harbaugh being back because he hadn't left yet. No, I'm with you. I, I think I think he's gone though, and they're losing a lot too. So I, I understand the the line honestly. It's um, and we're way we're ways away, so that could change a lot, especially with the transfer portal, everything happening. Uh, oh, that that line will change. Like I said, and and once he leaves, remember thirty days open uh, free agency. Basically, you got open season there. Once he leaves, if he does, I think he will. Where their roster will be able to hit the transfer portal for thirty days, and I know that's I don't know how that works out with. School and all that kind of yeah, stuff. Yeah, I don't. That's the thing. It's I don't get. It's weird. I don't. Yeah, I don't know how that school starts. Out. You got to be able to transfer in and go to school. You know, Texas has a two-week yeah. ad drop period. Also, most schools have a couple of week ad drop period where you can drop classes or add. Yeah. Where you can still. But so I mean, <laughs> you know, if Jim Harbaugh waits till next week or so to leave. It's be hard for any of those Michigan players to jump in the yeah. portal and go anywhere. I don't know how that works out. And then there's He's a different role in school, different calendars on the West Coast. So it's all type of different stuff. Uh, I want to get back to the Texans and the, the playoff game here because I'm talking about breaking tendency. The reason I'm talking about breaking tendency is because that's how you win big games. Um, so the Texans, I told you, they broke tendency to beat the Browns. They disguised more than they ever disguised all season long. They're not a disguised team. Not not a lot of disguise, and they had more shadow coverage. Uh, Derek Stingley on Amari Cooper than he's had all season long. Great ways to break Tennessee. How do you do it versus the Ravens? Something that the Texans don't do a lot of, they don't blitz a lot. You're talking about a, a, about a bottom five blitz rate of all the defense in the NFL, about a 20% blitz rate for the Texans. So they don't like to blitz a lot. But Lamar Jackson, he isn't great versus the blitz. Now, Lamar Jackson's going to win the MVP, so we're talking about not great. We're basically talking about him dropping off from elite play to being above average play. Um, but versus the Blitz, he ranks 29th out of 42 eligible quarterbacks in EPA uh, per play against six-plus pass rushers. So a Blitz is five or more. And he ranks 36th in passer rating, 24th in success rate um, in these heavy Blitz scenarios. And think about it. You Blitz him and you speed up everything. Now, it's a gamble. Because if you blitz, you better have some, <laughs> you better have some fail saves in place in case this guy escapes the blitz and is able to get outside the pocket. Um, but uh, you may see another way for the Texans to break tendency in this game. They may blitz than they than they normally do, um, and that would be something that I think would surprise the uh, the Ravens. They don't see it. They don't see it on film a lot, and that's what you got to do in these big games, especially in the playoffs. You got to put something out there effectively that works that they haven't been able to prepare for on film. And I think blitz, a heavy blitz rate for the Texans, is definitely a way to do it. I think that's something if, I am, if, I, if I'm D'Amico Ryans going into this game and I don't want Lamar Jackson to be able to hold the football back there and I don't want him to get comfortable blitzing early and often. That's I'll throw it out. And they spread out more than they used to as well. It's easier to blitz Lamar Jackson than it used to be because they don't run they don't run their personnel from heavier sets. Not twelve, not those uh two back sets anymore. You're talking about spread sets with Todd Munkin and if they spread you out, that means they're gonna be some eh, some free defenders uh that could come on some of those pressure packages. Uh, I will say this, and we all know it. If you're going to blitz Lamar Jackson, you better not miss him. Better get him to the ground. You better not miss. I'll do that. Off. He's great. Uh, he is a hard guy to get on the ground. That becomes a huge challenge uh, for the Houston Texans on Saturday. But in week one, remember, against the Texans, um, that was tied for the most. He was sacked in the game this year. Yeah. He was sacked four times in the game. So D'Amico already knows how to get to him a little bit. And it was also his third lowest passer rating, second lowest yardage total 
of his uh, MVP campaign so far this year. So it just D'Amico's got a, 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 now that was the first game of the season for them that they become more comfortable and they got more continuity within this offense as they as, as the season goes on because it, they were all brand new to it. CJ Stroud was also <laughs> brand new to his offense, so that's why it's going to be a very different game than it was. But there's a little reflection on their first meeting. Good stuff there from E and Robbie on a little. Hook them up replay here on the Sports Complex. We're going to come back, get to the text line. 512-447-3776 is the text line number. We're asking today, what is your favorite trade of all time? It could be NBA, it could be NFL, it could be MLB. Whatever, whatever your favorite trade of all time is, send that one in on the text line. Anything else you want to talk about, NFL, Texas football, NBA, college basketball, we'll talk about it here on the Sports Complex here on the Horn. We come back, text line 512-447-3776 right here on the Sports Complex on the Horn 1019, AM 1260, the Horn app, and hornfm.com. Patrick Davis and the Sports Complex, weekday afternoons, only on the Horn. Sports Complex here on the Horn on a Wednesday afternoon. Getting to the text line here. 512-447-3776 asking your favorite trade of all time. And if you got anything else you want to talk about, we try and get to everything here on the Sports Complex. Uh, my man Nate text in. Uh, you do a good job about not being distracted by the text line. I'm very distracted right now, Nate. Uh, my favorite trade would be the uh, rights for Dirk. Was so pissed at the time, but I guess it worked out for my mental health in the long run. Were you a big Pat Garrity fan? If I remember the trade correctly, off the top of my head, it was Robert Tractor Trailer who was drafted a couple picks at, uh, a couple picks after Dirk and Pat Garrity. If I remember correctly, it was Pat Garrity and Tractor Trailer. I don't know if there was picks in it or whatever else for Dirk, uh, but yeah, I, I'd say it worked out. I'd say it worked out for the Mavs as Tractor Trailer unfortunately did not have that long of a career, and Pat Garrity was already up there. It was never, you know, I don't think we could compare Pat Garrity and uh, Dirk Nowitzki in many categories. Uh, text says, Clyde the Glide coming home to the Rockets in 95. Yeah, that's up there. I can't remember off the top of my head that trade, but I remember when he came back uh, because my mom's a Houston, is from Houston, so the side side of the family is from Houston. So they were all pumped about it, and then it was also they played together at Five Slam at JAMA, and so it was, uh, it was big news in Houston. It was very big news, and it was big news everywhere, but in Houston at the time in 95, we didn't have the internet the same way we do now to have all the information spread everywhere, but it was it was big. And uh, it worked out well there too. And I, I do remember though. Some people were like, "Clyde's washed up. Like, there's no, this isn't gonna work. He's washed up. There's no way this is gonna help out this team." And, but he was a pretty good player there for the. And then they had those ugly jerseys, the the pajama jerseys when they tried to go and make it. I don't know what they were trying to do in that, but those pajama jerseys that they had at one point, not good, not good. Uh, says any updates on the hiring defensive line coach for the University of Texas football team? No, I've not seen anything. No one has told me anything, uh, which is disconcerting 
at this point. I did see a positive on the other side that Johnny Nansen, the uh, linebackers coach and co-DC that was hired uh, to come to Texas, is out on a recruiting, is out talking to coaches and doing that and working, wearing the burnt orange still. So we know that Arizona has clearly reached back out to him to see if he would have an interest in coming back to be the D.C. after they've hired their new coach. And, you know, I, I it seems like he doesn't want to right now. It seems like he's staying in Texas. So that would be good. But, uh, yeah, I've not heard. Uh, I'm assuming that they're, they're going to, uh, you know, see if, you know, the Freddie Roach is uh, expected to be retained. He went to Alabama. Uh, so you, he probably would be off the market. Uh, if you talk about, uh, uh, I think his name is Mike Erickson or something like that at, at Michigan. He was a Michigan guy that will play to Michigan, so he's probably not going anywhere, even if uh, if uh, Harbaugh goes to the NFL. So I don't know. Uh, I'm assuming they're doing it behind the scenes and just trying to keep it quiet. Uh, but no, I've not. I've not. It is somewhat you kind of would like to see that happening uh, sooner rather than later. Uh, but no, I've not seen anything. Uh, Texter says. Uh, favorite trade, and they said Duran and he moved to the afternoon. No, they did not. That we just do replays here on the sports complex. You know, show some love for those guys, and always good to hear what Rob Babers and Aaron Hogan have to say. Uh, favorite trade: uh, Rams, golfer, Lion, Stafford. Which side? Because one of them has got a Super Bowl out of it, and the other is in the playoffs currently because of it. So, which side is is your favorite trade of it? Is are you just like it because it's working out for both teams? It seemed to be a, a solid trade for both teams at the end of the day. Uh, that the Lions are doing just fine with Goff, uh, but the Rams got a Super Bowl, so you can't complain on either side of that trade. I don't think. Uh, Texter says, "Are this is Nate again? We had to wait for Dirk. Yeah, you had to wait for Dirk for a little bit. It was I look. I can tell you, Nate. I remember when the uh, when the Spurs drafted Tony Parker. It was two thousand one. And this is when I was starting to get into and I wanted to do more reporting and, and following the NBA. And I was really getting into draft coverage. Uh, and so I was, you know, scouting a ton of players in uh, in college, which is much you could do in 2001. It was trying to watch these games and trying to go and find the information on everybody. And so I was writing these articles and doing stuff of NBA draft coverage. And so I had all these guys that I was hoping the Spurs would take and they draft Tony Parker. And I'm like, who is this kid from France? Why do we draft a kid from France? This is terrible. Uh, was that not a great take for me? I will. I'll give myself credit. I was not. It was like I think seventeen at the time. So, man, you know, wasn't my best pick at the time either. But, uh, <laughs> but that was one. I can tell you, I did not. I was not thrilled with the Tony Parker pick either. Monte Ginobili was late enough in the draft that we didn't. You know, that one didn't matter. But there was a first round pick for Tony. He was, oh, come on! There's all these guys who I can't remember their names now uh, that we should have picked. All right, we're gonna get back to the text line. We come back. Uh, 512-447-3776. What's your favorite trade of all time? Uh, also, do you have any takes on the NFL, the NBA, college football, college basketball, some Longhorn talk, whatever you want to get into. We try to get to everybody's text here on the text line. We are going to get into some NFL talk when we come back. Uh, coaching carousel is in full effect. We'll give you an update on all of that when we come back here on the Sports Complex on the Horn 1019 AM 1260, the Horn app, and hornfm.com.